0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and
1: welcome to another edition of the Standig Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. The voice is getting better, at least I think so, in my own ear. Uh, Uh... Getting past sickness, we got to get ready here. It's the final preseason game this Saturday at FedEx Field, Commanders against the Bengals, and then cutdown day is right after that. And then of course we're gearing up for the regular season, so no time to be sick. Um, hope everybody's uh, doing well themselves. Here's what we got on this episode of the podcast. Two things. One, I will I'll give you a quick couple quick notes here at the top on some things from practice and injury updates on Terry McLaurin and Chase Young and others. Uh, And I will later in the podcast, kind of, I won't do a full 53-man breakdown, but I will give you what I see are some of the main roster battles still up in the air, some of which may uh, be in play in the third preseason game, depending on who plays. But in addition to that, I spoke earlier today with my guy, David Aldridge, who had a great article up today on The Athletic. He spoke with uh, Josh Harris and Joe Gibbs at the preseason game, the the best preseason game of all time, of course, against the Ravens. And it was about their, their relationship, how it came to be, and how winning drives them both and how all that they hope will lead to better success for the commander. So we'll talk about that. And David and I also talked about Sam Howe, of course, uh, even got into Shohei Ohtani stuff. So good conversation with David Aldridge as always. And then, as I said, I will go through the roster breakdowns uh, and, and show, tell you guys what I think may happen and which players, uh, you know, are, are going to be the ones to watch in this game. So we'll do that in a moment here on the Standard Room Only podcast, which of course you can find on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you do your podcasting. Hit that like button subscribe button, whatever you got there. Um, And I haven't asked for a while, but if you are an iTunes person and you have a second to drop a quick review, this is a great way to let people know that you're interested in it. It helps the algorithms uh, let people know as well that uh, people should be checking out the podcast. And of course, subscribe to The Athletic as well to read David's article and all of my work in addition. All right. uh, So let's uh, quickly hear some thoughts from practice. So Today, Thursday, was the final practice of training camp, essentially. No more, uh, no fans have been out this week, but beyond that, this is the last time we will get to watch a full practice. It's now back to the usual, we see the first 15 minutes at the top, which is mostly stretching and some individual uh, position work. We don't get to see the good stuff. That is all over. Uh, so that, that, that whole world has changed. So, um, as far as some of the injury stuff, let's go through a couple things here. Let's start with Terry McLaurin, who, as we know, suffered a toe injury in the preseason game. He was still in there late in the second quarter, uh, got tackled from behind, got hurt. We've heard various things, a sprain, this, that, and the other. Adam Schefter this afternoon tweeted out the following. Well, actually, first let me say so. The other day, all of us kind of reported something similar that sprained toe, but there's optimism for week one. Schefter today tweeted this While Washington has expressed optimism about the status of Terry McLaurin, who suffered a toe injury on Monday night, the Commanders wide receiver is uncertain for the regular season opener versus the Cardinals, per sources. McLaurin will work to be ready for the start of the season, but it's too early, early to say whether he will be. His injury typical, typically is a multiple-week injury. Now, I don't think that this is necessarily different than what we heard. I mean, being optimistic and saying he will play in week one are not the same thing, but what's notable here is he says who suffered a t- turf toe injury. We have not heard specifically that he had suffered a turf toe we've heard sprain toe and i'm not going to pretend to be a doctor to tell you you know what what's the big differences there between these various uh, definitions of these injuries but if Schefter is saying specifically a turf toe somebody told him that that somebody would typically be their a someone with the team B, McLaurin's agent, or C, McLaurin himself or the player. Uh, it, it's not surprising that a team, somebody would say something more specific to him than he would to the rest of us. So let's say that it is a turf toe injury. I think that's probably what I'll be calling it from now on because that's what we kind of were assuming in part because, again, Ron Rivera the other day, when he, or uh, Ron Rivera yesterday on Wednesday, when asked about McLaurin's injury, he said the X-rays came out negative. The MRI, mostly the MRI, kind of the same quote for the most part. End quote. So not alarming here for McLaurin in terms of like you know, weeks and weeks, but it's possible he may miss week one. I think that's something we do need to consider. I'm not going to go backwards and, and 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 sort of rant again about why I think it was a mistake that he was in the game. Again, it's not a no, I, I, you know, when I bring this up and the football, people are mm, football. Mm. Okay. It's not that it's just a matter of the risk reward. Why is he in the game at that point when the Ravens are playing their backups to their backups to their backup secondary, even if there's help Sam Howell, et cetera. So anyway, so we'll have to watch that for sure. He, he wasn't going to play in this game. You wouldn't think anyway, but nonetheless, um, Something that we do need to watch, obviously, for the next couple of weeks. Chase Young. Chase Young has been on the practice field the last two days doing some of, like, the lighter install work. He has not been participating in contact. Not that there's been much contact these last couple days. Anyway, but what's notable here is Rivera said that Chase Young would be meeting with a doctor on uh, Friday to... Determine when he can resume contact in practice for the stinger he got uh, in that first game. It is interesting that it has gone on this long. Needless to say, I am not going to diagnose anything. I have no idea if he's hurting, he's hurting. But, uh, you know, we'll wait and see here when the doctor says Chase Young can get back on the field for contact. No Kendall Fuller the last couple of days. He's been dealing with some knee soreness, Ron Rivera told us. Uh, so keep that in mind. Doesn't sound like it's a big deal. The hope is he'll be out able to play next week. And the other one of Noke, we'll talk more about this guy later. Dax Milne has a groin injury. Rivera said that it was a, a quote, a little bit of a setback end quote in Monday's game. He had missed a practice right before the game. Now missed the one after, but he was back out there today, at least doing some of the lighter Stuff, Uh, you know, when you hear a player who's like a bubble player, like a Dax Milne with an injury, I'm not saying he doesn't have the injury, but you hear that and you start to think, okay, is this the first step towards putting him on IR? Obviously, we will see. Uh, I don't think they want to lose him. I've talked before about his receiving skills. And, you know, while I know his punt returns don't, uh, you know, don't get everybody hot and bothered. He's very safe. He's very competent. And that's not that's not a bad trade at all for that position. So those are some of the injury updates, Uh, just in terms of the preseason game itself. Jacoby Brissett's been doing some reps with the ones, the last couple of days, we were told this was in part uh, because he might play in the game. And what was discussed today by a few of us on the sidelines is as watching practice, like, are they really going to play some of the starters? Like it seemed like they wouldn't play any of the offensive starters, really, other than, um, well, really, oh, potentially none of them. I mean, maybe, you know, one or two or something, but, like, not collectively. Uh, maybe, maybe that's going to happen for a series. I, I don't, I, I, to me, I still wouldn't play any of my main skill players. Uh, Charles Leno has not been practicing, so he would stay out. On the offensive line, I guess it would just depend on, like, who do I think I need to see a little bit more from for whatever the reason. But, I, you know if you're going to be cautious as they were last week with the with the defense, why not be cautious with the offense here? Um, that's how I look at it. But this, this place is getting run by two different groups. There's an offensive thinking and a defensive thinking, but you know, we'll see, I guess there's a little more evidence that maybe we see the starters for a series or so, but I, I don't mean Sam Howell. I mean everybody else. I don't imagine Sam Howell plays, but that would be my view on that. Um, All right, Uh, that said, the game Saturday night, uh, what, 6, 6.30? um, Well, let me not make it 6 or 6.30. Let me give you an actual time here. You'd think I would know these things, but uh, don't always. 6.05, not even that. 6.05 to be exact. So so there you go. So if you're going to be out there, enjoy the game no matter who is playing. And, uh, you know, some final decisions will be made there. Um, All right. Let's get to it. I, I usually go with my, my own takes first, followed by the interview. But in this case, I'm not putting David Aldridge on hold, especially when he's talking to Josh Harris and Joe Gibbs. So we talked about that, Sam Howell, and more here on the Standard Groom Only Podcast. All right. Uh, joining me here, the Hall of Famer himself, David Aldridge, my colleague at The Athletic who uh, was at the game uh, the, the greatest preseason game of all time. <laughs> he, he wasn't there, though, just to watch the theatrics on the field. He was there to to talk with uh, the new head of the ownership group, uh, Josh Harris, as well as legendary coach Joe Gibbs. And he got to talk to them together. They've got a partnership uh, in in multiple ways, trying to figure out how to get this team together. Really good stuff. That's a new article up on The Athletic. David, uh, thanks for uh, taking the time to – To discuss, uh, what was it first? I guess it's like the scene overall for you, uh, a long time. You know, you're a native of this area like me, and you covered this team to to see sort of a new vibe out at uh, FedEx.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was it was something. I mean, I've been on, you know, (laughs) you know, under the old the former regime, we weren't really allowed on the sideline pregame. But I mean, it's more it's an NFL thing. It's not it's not just Dan Snyder. I can't blame it all on Dan Snyder. They tried to tried to reduce the number of people pregame on the field, but, you know, Monday it was, you know, there was a lot of people on the sideline pregame and you just felt the energy. I mean, yeah, Wale was there and, and Wes Moore was there, Um, you know, all, all manner of former commanders, alums and things like that. Um, uh, it was, it was electric really was the feeling. It was very, it was very hot, but, but you know Gibbs still has that kind of command presence, man, I mean, I, like you know like Pat Riley still has it with the heat, you know and in his I don't even know how old Pat is late seventies, I would think um you know he still he still has that presence when you're in the room with him like he you really your attention is drawn to him, and they still are able to kind of command it and um you feel it, and certainly with Josh Harris being there with his whole ownership group with mitch rails and mark ein and and their families and there was just a real palpable sense of of um energy there and then you know ron rivera was was there with john harbaugh and they were holding court and uh you know ron you know certainly john harbaugh has a certain gravitas based on his success with the ravens over the last uh decade plus and so um yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely a, a different feeling than than certainly I've been used to um, pregame, but you just got the sense the whole night, the whole day and, and evening in the game, there was just more juice in the building. I mean, it wasn't not close to a sellout, don't get me wrong, but, you know, it was a good crowd, you know, considering it was really hot um, and it was a preseason game. Uh, a good crowd. I, I, I did not bother to try to determine – how many people were Ravens fans and how many people were commanders fans because, you know, it's a neighborhood game. It's very easy for Ravens fans to get tickets. Um, But it's not like it was a totally pro Ravens crowd either. I mean, there were a lot of commanders fans there and it was a, it was a pretty good game, you know, for a preseason game.
1: Yeah. um, And obviously look, everybody's still on a champagne high uh, because of the sale. This champagne high could go on for, months i mean you know yeah. it, it may it may last the entire season regardless of what sam how does or doesn't do um but obviously eventually there will be a point where they go okay you know we moved on from uh the wicked witch is dead but now, now now where we're going and that's where obviously josh harris comes into play and when you hear that joe gibbs he and joe gibbs have a partnership with joe gibbs racing but obviously harris is a guy who was born and raised here is gonna revere Gibbs like you know anybody of that era would. So it's a it's an interesting dynamic and that's that's the we're all trying to get Josh Harris stories and that's the angle you landed on. Um but like how did you I'm just curious, like how did you actually get to that point? Did you pitch the idea immediately to um Josh Harris's group? Hey, Harris and Gibbs, let's do that. And even within that, did you know what you wanted to write about with these men?
2: I mean it was it was both really. I mean, you know My first thing was I want to get in front of Josh Harris, you know, um, to kind of ask him questions about where this thing is going, what he thinks his vision is. And, you know, they're doing a very effective job as as PR people of kind of marrying Josh Harris and Joe Gibbs. And they do have I mean, they do have a business partnership now. I mean, it's not like it's something they made up. Josh Harris did invest a lot of money in uh, Joe Gibbs Racing. And Joe Gibbs has a stake in the parent company of Harris's sports empire the 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 part that owns the the Sixers and the Devils, but not the part that owns the Commanders because it's a different group that ha- that bought the Commanders. You know, they're being very they're being very specific when they say that, and they say it repeatedly that that Joe Gibbs does not have a financial stake in the Commanders, um, but they definitely want to put Joe Gibbs next to Josh Harris early and often um but there is a legitimate story there i mean it's not like it's just um you know a photo shoot they're in business with one another um so it there is a reason to write about the two of them in tandem and so you know to to write about them and to and and joe gibbs has a unique perspective not only as somebody that that clearly is the most successful coach in the history of this franchise but but then someone who also worked for Dan Snyder, so he has a unique perspective um, that that few other people have.
1: Yeah, no, no, no doubt. I mean, look, you know, I know they call him Mike Francesa the Pope, but that's kind. Of, I feel like I want to steal that term locally for Gibbs. I mean, everybody, you know, whoever comes through here basically has to. I don't want to say kiss the ring in like a your forced way, but like clearly, you know, Ron Rivera has gone out of his way. To establish, you know, connect, establish a relationship, a connection with Gibbs uh, and Harris, um, doing it, doing it as well. Um, I guess they're gonna have the, they have his partnership, a real one, as like you said with the racing. Uh, is Joe Gibbs to what, what's your view of like? Is Joe Gibbs gonna really help Harris out beyond this? Is there possible that there's any more? There's no formal role. He's not like, like a formal job here, but like right. I wouldn't think, but like. Do you get a sense that Joe Gibbs could like Harris has got to make decisions at some point here? Keep Rivera, not keep Rivera, keep Jason right, not keep Jason right, whatever it is. do You think Gibbs is going to be involved on that level?
2: I I don't think so, just just because I don't think Josh Harris is going to cede that to anybody. You know what I mean? Like he'll listen if people have opinions, but he certainly is going to make the decision on, on those on those job specifically whether those guys keep their jobs. Um so and I have and certainly I have no sense that that Joe Gibbs at, at he's 82 years old. I mean I don't think he's looking to get back into the NFL in any meaningful way, you know, <laughs> uh in terms of decision making ownership at any level. Give, he'll, he'll give his opinions to be sure if he's asked. And 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 one thing that Harris said repeatedly was he wants Gibbs to kind of be proactive and you know don't wait for me to call you you call me if you see something that you think needs fixing or something that's not working and and you know Gibbs said he would um but he also said that line between Ron Rivera and Josh Harris cannot be kind of muddled up by anybody in 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 the middle you know he doesn't want any like uh go-betweens kind of messing up the message between the coach and the owner that's supposed to be a bat phone i pick up the phone you answer it kind of deal you know so he said i don't want to get i'm not going to get in the middle of that um but he will offer his opinion so i mean i think it's going to be more of an advisory thing than anything else um but i do think he he does say he did go out of his way to say hey look i'm i'm I've achieved a certain amount of success in my life but I I I could still use a mentor every once in a while and he he considers Joe Gibbs a mentor in in that regard in the football sense.
1: Yeah, well and that's always the fascinating part about any of this is when these owners buy these teams they are the definition typically a fish out of water. Yeah. So they may be masters of the universe in private equity or uh you know, Home Depot uh, yeah, or yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever, like Arthur Blank or whatever it is. But this is a whole different deal. And you, how do you know how to do it? So obviously having Joe Gibbs around as somebody that is a sounding board um, sounds like a great idea. And I guess one other question we all keep wondering about with Harris, we have some evidence because of his current other uh, teams he owns, is what what level of involvement will he be? You've got, you know, Joe Gibbs had Jack cook who clearly – was not afraid to express his views and opinions, but he did seem to let the football people do their job. Yeah. Until it got to the point maybe where like, hey, you know, we got a problem. Yeah. Whereas obviously the last guy, you know, for the majority of his time, he had no problem sticking in his, yeah. uh, his, his sticking his nose in where it certainly didn't belong. What What's your sense either previously or based on how Harris was talking to you here about what his involvement level might be?
2: Um. I mean, I th- look, he only, he spent $6 billion. He's going to have some say on this, right? I mean, he's going to have some say in things. So um, he has said, you know, he said Monday that he's learning and obviously does not know as much about football as Rivera or some of the people on the football side. And I I certainly think there'll be some deference there. But <clears throat> the overall thing, man, is, you know, they got to win. I mean, I don't think there's any. There's no secret here. I mean, they, they if they don't win enough games this year, Ron is not going to be back. It doesn't matter how much Josh Harris knows or doesn't know about the NFL. He just fired Doc Rivers, who's who's literally been voted one of the top 15 coaches in NBA history um, because he didn't win enough. You know, And they made the second round of the playoffs three years in a row and it wasn't good enough. And so he's made it clear that um, there are going to be expectations for winning, um, starting now um, and he's not going to be very tolerant about five-year plans and all that sort of thing he's kind of all in on let's get this battleship turned around as quickly as possible and you know he's he said it during the story like he said I'm you know he said I'm I'm an intense guy and and it's not for everybody and that's you know and it's okay if it's not for you but if you're here I you have you have to live up to a certain standard, so you know he's certainly going to be the expectation. I think is going to be winning immediately at a much higher level than they've won before. Now, I don't know what the line is. Do they if they if they win a game in the playoffs is that enough? I don't know. I mean, but I certainly think you have to be at that kind of level of success to even consider bringing Rivera and his group back or extending them
1: yeah no i, I that's why there, it's the big question like you know we talk about sam how what's he going to do eric the how's that going to work what josh harris's intentions are what are his goal posts is the most interesting part for me of this season because we don't know what rivera is facing um you know six wins could be enough if sam how progresses 10 wins might not be enough to, regardless you might say no nah, we're starting over so that part is uh this is interesting. Um, w- One thing, like reading your story and, you know, having been around Josh Harris and seeing him around the last few weeks, you know, this there's a lot of different contra- differences between him and, and uh, Dan Snyder. You know, part of what led to, I think, a lot of the disdain for Snyder beyond obviously the losing and the terrible behavior, but early on was he made it very clear. He was Mr. Snyder and you were the, pe- you were the peasants, more or less, like the yeah. gap between where he believed he was at And where you were at was pretty seismic um then on top of it he obviously has a lot of social anxiety which led him to be a bit of a recluse and he never talked to him meanwhile here's josh harris he goes into the monday night booth with aikman and buck by itself stunning yeah and then he has the awkward handshake that we're all making fun of (laughs) but it was such a human moment yeah that's what makes it so interesting we didn't get, we almost had no human moments with Dan Snyder. And I know Harris gave you a a quote that, that talks about being a public figure. I think it says quote, um, I mean, you're putting yourself out there in a big way, but then also you have to behave and act in a certain way. Like yeah. you're out there as a public figure. It takes some time to get used to and you need some maturity to handle it. Yeah. Um, I don't think you drew a direct line from that to Snyder, but at the same point for the rest of us, it's pretty, it's a pretty obvious connection. And I think yeah. that's, Part of what makes people right now very happy with with the Harris uh uh ownership
2: yeah no I mean it it you know I'm you know clearly I think he's trying to you know put some put some meat on the bone of what it means to be the owner of the commanders and that you do have to kind of be held to a different standard, whether you want to or not. Like that's part of the job. Um, I I don't know Josh Harris that well, but I don't know, I don't get the sense that he when he says things like that, like he's like he's deliberately taking a dig at Snyder. Like I really don't think that's what he's trying to do. But I think he's also making it clear that he understands the job is a public forward front facing job. And you can't just you can't be a, you know, kind of venal negative person. Um, If not only for the job, but if you want to get people to work for you at the highest level. And he kept, he kept returning to the idea of, you know, we want to hire the absolute best people. And if you want to hire the best people, you have to make them feel like you're worth working for, you know? And so while he, again, while he doesn't say Snyder's name, I, I think, It's clear if you're paying attention that that he understands that has not been the case here. And it has to be the case here. If you're going to get if you're going to build an organization that has championship level caliber, you need people who are at the absolute top of what they do. And you can't do that if you're an organization that's constantly covering up for itself for the terrible decisions that people have made in service to that organization.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, go, go read David's uh, article up on the athletic right now, subscribe to the athletic, of course, uh, to get all of David's work. Not obviously here. He's also rolling out. What are you doing? uh, 10 tier today was your last tier of the NBA top
2: 30. Yeah. The off season, just the off season, you know, just the team, you know, ranking, one through thirty, the team every team's off season and the moves that they made. And if they you know, and it's not, you know, it's a moving target. It's not there's nothing, there's no static set of rules because every team's in a different position. So it's just kind of a judgment of who did the most to improve their team. And some of you know, sometimes it's through the draft. Obviously, the Spurs got and Yama, so they they had a really good off season. You know what I mean? So um, and then other teams with free agent signings or trades or hiring a new coach or whatever it was, um, you know, made, made changes that I I think were good or not so good. And so you rank them one through 30.
1: Uh, I will be catching up, uh, on this, this weekend. Uh, but you don't have to tell me the number. Just give me and the listeners a quick tease. There's three different stories. One to 10, 10, 11 to 20, 21 to 30. Which one would I click to find the wizards?
2: It's, uh, the middle.
1: (laughs) <laughs> all right, well, 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 that's perfect for them, yeah. um, <laughs> right? right. Uh, all right, um, lastly, just back to the commander. So, in terms of the game itself, Sam Howell obviously got a lot of work, yeah. continues to progress. Uh, you know, what, what, where are you at with Sam Howell Mania?
2: I thought he was pretty good. I mean, you know, I'm not gonna, I, I can't go nuts about a preseason game, even though I get that, you know. Monday was not a typical preseason game because of the all of what we talked about, but. And the Ravens had this wacky, uh, winning streak. Right. And they, and they're very proprietary. Let's put it that way about their win streak. I mean, Harbaugh, you know, just crushing people who, who had the audacity, literally he said the audacity to say that the streak wasn't that important. And of course he falls back on. So, well, you never played, so you don't know and all that nonsense, but, um, <clears throat> um but i thought he played well i mean he didn't they weren't the ones he wasn't playing against the ravens ones and you gotta factor that in but he made some plays he made some off script plays um used his feet um was pretty accurate uh and and did a nice job in the two-minute drill at the end of the first half which was the, which was his last um you know his last uh, appearance of the night so I thought he played pretty well. I mean, it was another kind of positive check Mark for him in terms of um, where he's going in his development. I mean, he didn't do anything that made you go, Oh, that's a step back. You know, like um, they didn't have a great first drive and he took, you know, he took responsibility for the two sacks saying that, that, that was, he's held onto the ball too long. So there's stuff to to improve on, but I thought he, you know, I thought he did pretty well. I mean, you know, it was there was nothing that that felt to me like a setback. I I would be very surprised if he plays very much Saturday, just because what would the point be? You know, like Rivera has gone out of his way to say how important the the practices with the Ravens were last week uh, before the preseason, before the game, and so if that's true. You know he's played two preseason games, essentially, or maybe two and a half preseason games. There's really no point to putting him out there again. I don't think. Um, uh, yeah,
1: I, I don't think he nor almost any of the starters will probably play. Yeah, unless.
2: so so if you're saying, hey, how did he do in preseason? I'd say he did pretty well. I mean, he he, he looks like he's comfortable in the offense. He looks like he's ready to kind of uh, assert himself as the leader in the huddle and and. Um, they had they had enough success uh against Cleveland and, and Baltimore that you go, okay, well, and and to be blunt, I don't think Jacoby Brissett's done nearly enough to even have a discussion about it. You know, like he hasn't looked all that good to me um so far. So um so from that standpoint, I don't really know that there's anybody that I don't know how you could have a you could have a realistic argument that. Sam Howell shouldn't be the, shouldn't be QB one. I mean, he's kind of been the best guy in camp.
1: Yeah. I, I, yeah, no, 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 no argument from, uh, from me on that um, assessment. All right. It's, it's early in the morning. Both of us uh, need to go get coffee and a shower. (laughs) God knows what, Uh, and I got to run to practice. Uh, David greatly appreciate the time. Uh, The story, an amazing path, how Josh Harris Joe Gibbs came together to restart the commander's engine Go read that in the athletic, along with all of David's other uh, fantastic work. By the way, did you wake up to the terrible news of Shohei Otani uh, tearing yeah. his? Oh that's my god,
2: awful. that's awful! Isn't it awful? I you mean, know, we can't have one. We can't
1: have one good thing, right? Right? Right?
2: Right? <laughs> right? I mean, you know, and I don't, you know, I don't know what that means if he, if he comes, if he never is going to be, you know, the pitcher that he's been at this level. Or if he can come back from this at, at his age, I don't know. I don't know enough about that injury. Um, but it's just sad because he's just been such, you know, such a bright spot this year and and especially this summer in terms of being able to just watch him play and watch him do what he's been doing. It's been incredible. And you just hate to see anybody that good not be able to do what they can do at the highest level.
1: And it's weird, like, the the nature of the injury they played a doubleheader yesterday. He was pitching in the first game. They took him out. He came back in the second game and hit. Like, wait, what? Like, it just yeah. seems like, I, I guess the swing plane is different than the the, the pitching, but like, this seems insane. Yeah, you might have to have season-ending surgery, but you're still out there swinging right. a
2: bat. Yeah, no, it's it just shows you how how crazy unique this guy is that he can still go out and play. And you know, if, I mean, again, I don't know anything about the mechanics of that, but if he can swing a bat then i guess yeah if it's not hurting him anymore to swing a bat then i guess you know um but you certainly hope he can come back soon to pitch because he is he is something else as a pitcher too
1: right right all right i could i could uh, come up with more topics i'll let you go uh (laughs) david appreciate it uh are you i don't know if i'll see you out at the game on saturday or not but i'll but uh enjoy uh the rest of the month. I, and we'll I'm going soon.
2: back on vacation now. Man. Yeah, good,
1: good, good. Do that, do that. All right. Well, we appreciate you. Stop taking a break in order to uh, give us a story. We'll talk soon. Yes, sir. All right. Great stuff there from David. Make sure you go check out the article on the site. Uh, all right. Now, when the game ends, you know, it's not going to be too much longer before the coaching staff starts diving in. To who's going to make this team? Teams have to get from 90 to 53 by August 29th. So that's uh, next Tuesday. Uh, you know, it's a big chunk of players that have to get cut at this point. Now, I didn't do the math, but, you know, we could probably already guess probably 20 guys who it's just not going to be for them. And probably even another, you know, 10 or so where it's like, all right, we're probably not for them either. But then there's a lot of other choices that will have to be made, and uh, you know Rivera today talked about how how that all goes that the, the coaches will talk with each other first. And they'll have they'll sort of you know campaign or, or or suggest their their thoughts. Then it'll be Rivera, his coordinators, as well as the front office, doing that again, going through uh, who's gonna get who's gonna stay, who's gonna go. I think it's interesting that you know while you the team in theory is pulling together in the same direction or rowing together in the same direction. There could be a little bit of, Hey, Hey, no, 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 no. I need my guy to stay here. I disagree. I think this guy should stay, or we can risk this guy going through waivers or what have you. I would, you know, these are the things I would love to be the fly on the wall for. I find this stuff endlessly fascinating. Um, Nonetheless, they will get down to the 53 by Tuesday. And that doesn't mean the roster is set in, you know, stoned then, Players, you know, uh, could clear waivers. You go on the practice squad, of course. Uh, other players from other teams could get claimed by Washington. Uh, you know, maybe there's somebody they're going to wait to put on uh, injury reserved. If you do it after final cuts, then that player can come back. You do it before player is out. So uh, that is. Those are some of the things to keep an eye on from a procedural standpoint. Now, as far as the actual. Player standpoint, oh my God, there was a Peter Brady voice right there for you, for anybody who's old enough to know that. Whew. All right, Um, here's a couple positions I want to kind of go through. Running back and tight end, I'm going to lump these two together. Three running backs we know are safe, Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson, Chris Rodriguez. I think we're pretty confident that three tight ends are safe. Logan Thomas, John Bates, Cole Turner. The question is... Between these two spots, are they keeping one more or two more? If they are only keeping one more, then that player is probably going to be Alex Arma, who can play fullback. He can play tight end. He's got some good versatility there, can help on special teams. Uh, To go to the tight end part of this, Logan Thomas, didn't mention him with the injuries, he is continued to make strides. We've seen him more out on the side field during practices the last uh you know, last week or so getting better. Still not there yet with his calf strain. Then you've got John Bates, who I think is legitimately solid. Tom Bates is also a better pass catcher than I feel like we give him credit for. And then Cole Turner, who is there to give them that big tall target, uh, you know, with some sort of wide receiver dimensions there. I, I, I just don't think Curtis Hodges has done nearly enough to justify keeping him with his inexperience. So, I do think, though, they would like to keep a fourth tight end. And with Logan Thomas's, you know, even if they say he's going to play week one, I, you have to be somewhat concerned at this point. So, having a fourth tight end would make a lot of sense. But, can you really, do you really want to keep four tight ends and four running backs when you're going to have some other decisions to make? Arma gets you a spot in both. But if you keep only three running backs, that means no Jonathan Williams, who I just continue to like and think is underrated with what he can do as a, as a running back, with speed, with power, and he's a big help on special teams. You also have a guy like Derek Gore, the former chief. I, I feel like he's looked pretty good to me when he's been in there, but you know, uh, if the enemy has his say, maybe he is um, the fourth guy, but if not, guy you could think you could probably sneak onto the practice squad. I think it's going to be really interesting. For me right now, well, actually, I'll say that for later when we go through the rest of these positions, but that's, I think, the question, is it seven players between these two positions, or is it eight? If it's eight, Jonathan Williams, Derek Gore have a better chance. If it's seven, Alex Arma is looking pretty good. Offensive line, I think the question here, nine or ten. Ricky Stromberg he's going to make the team. Let's be clear about that. But he's gotten a lot of attention over the last week. He's continued to play a lot at guard. That's something he did as a freshman. And he told me today that he can play either the left or the right guard. It's not that complicated for him to make the switch from center to guard, even though he has not done it a ton at all here or you know in college again since his freshman year. Uh, but he's been making a lot of strides, getting a lot of attention. Ron Rivera has brought him up several times. He has looked pretty good. You know, you can say maybe he needs to get a bit stronger, but I think he's looked pretty stout to me out there. And I do think that at time, if they think he's good and the Sadiq Charles-Chris Paul situation at left guard doesn't work out the way they want, that maybe at some point Stromberg gets in the mix. But that said, today Rivera said that... Stromberg being able to play guard really kind of helps out with their uh, planning. I guess if I'm looking at this, what that says to me is if you have a guy that can play center and guard, that's an area where you can let one go. If he was only a center and Tyler Larson is only a center, maybe you have to keep both of them because you don't want to cut either one but you have to keep somebody else uh, to help you at guard. Uh, I don't think I said that the way I wanted to, but I guess my point would be if Stromberg can play center and guard, right, that gives them that flexibility there. You're going to have the loser of the Sadiq Charles-Chris Paul matchup up as, as another interior lineman. You've got Cornelius Lucas. And even though Braden Daniels, their fourth-round uh, pick, has not been dynamic at all, uh, This summer, you're not going to cut a fourth-round pick. He's not, you know, he's not looked that bad or anything. And he's gotten a little bit better. Some questions for sure, don't get me wrong. But I I just don't see them cutting the fourth-round pick. So that would be nine without Larson. And when you look at, again, we'll go through these other spots, but that's kind of a big spot. I kind of feel like, you know, whoever is out here might be sort of my 54th player. But, you know, Stromberg making strides, and if he can play both guard and center, then they, uh, you know, have a little more flexibility versus if they had three guys who could play center, but neither, none of them plays guard, or at least they don't want, want them to play guard. Uh, wide receiver. So I guess you could say it's six or seven. I think We know who the top four is. I'm not going to bother everybody with that. But from there, you've got Byron Pringle, Mitchell Tinsley. You've got the Dax Allen, oh, sorry, the, the uh, Casimir Allen, Dax Milne punt return battle. I'm going to throw Bryson Tremaine in there, another undrafted free agent who, honestly, probably it's derelict of, derelict of duty here. Have not talked about him enough. Uh, you know, undrafted free agent from Stanford, big, tall guy who just makes a lot of plays down the field. I think I've just largely ignored him in terms of making the 53 because I have to imagine he clears waivers, but I've really liked him. I really think he's been uh, an impressive target, Stanford kid. You know, you're going to assume he's he's smart. Uh, he knows, obviously, Tavita Pritchard, the quarterback coach from Stanford. So I think he's interesting, but I just imagine he's going to be able to clear waivers. And then you have Marcus Camp, another Charger receiver who's also got good size. I expressed previously that I, I wonder if there's a world where they release Allen and Milne, figuring at least one clears waivers, if not both. You put them on the practice squad, call them up before the game as the uh, player, uh, as one of your uh, players that you can do that with, becomes your returner for at least two games, and then at that point you have to put them on the roster or lose them, and you know somebody likely will have to go on our IR or just has shown that they are not good enough. Uh that's one thought. Another thought would be pick a receiver and then the Alan Milne uh player is the other is the other option. And yet another way would go would be say Pringle, Mitchell Tinsley, and the punt returner. Um I think all those could work. I think mean, I'm a little bit less confident in I I do I still like Mitchell Tinsley. I just maybe a little bit less confident about him. Like sticking in terms of do do I think another team is going to scoop him up? I I don't know about that, but you know I and, and I mentioned Milne's injury earlier. You know this could be the first step of him landing on IR. I don't think that's out of the question. Again, I I I like him, but Allen has been the one getting more of the practice reps and as the punt returner. He, look, he's quick, he's, he's got some electricity to him, no doubt, but he's also a bit of a raw prospect overall, and he may not be able to help Washington much more than as the returner, although, you know, I, don't, I, don't think, he, I think he's an interesting threat uh, at, at, on offense, but you've got, you know, you've got Curtis Samuel, you got a lot of guys, that, I don't know how much they would need him, so I, I'm not going to lie, I'm, I'm still pretty torn, ultimately I would say six here. Um, Marcus Kemp for me is probably, no, he's probably going to be out. But um, that, that's how I would see that group. Uh, let's go to the defense. Here the number is 10 or 11. 11's a lot for a defensive line. Now, Andre Jones looks like he can play special teams, so that, that's a help. But 11 is a lot until you remember, well, Math Mathis still out with a calf issue. Jonathan Allen hasn't practiced this week. He's out with uh, plantar fasciitis. Now, obviously, John Allen is a tough, tough guy, so you would think he'll be ready to go. But, you know, I I, I don't know when he gets a full, clean bill of health. And, therefore, something to keep in mind when we're debating 10 or 11 players make it. Because if there's only 10, you know, I don't know who uh, who are you cutting at that point. If we think Andre Jones makes a team, is our world where you're cutting KJ Henry, the fifth round pick? He really has not been. It's been like unnoticeable for the most part in camp. I, you know, so the fact that you would have Jones as a pick coming in could let you think that um, maybe they move on from Henry, Henry. But it's also way too early. You know, if you like the guy, he obviously had a really good career at Clemson. You know, and, and we, as we know, this whole defensive and the group. Almost everybody is a free agent. So, you know, it'd be nice to have somebody else on the books for next year, just in case. So I think he makes it. And that's why I probably lean 11 right now. Um, especially like I said, with the two defensive tackles hurt, you gotta have, you gotta build up your depth. So I think that's one way to do it. Uh, at linebacker, you know, I think the answer is either four or five. I've been going with four in my various mock drafts. Uh um, that said, I, I do want to just mention this quote, this uh, stat. You can take it for for what it's worth. It is from Pro Football Focus. You know, their grades are uh, probably a bit too subjective for talking about them in the way that we collectively do. But nonetheless, out of uh, 217 linebackers who have played in preseason, Cody Barton ranks 216th. He has been Washington's worst-rated defender in both games, and i I, I, I think there's got to be some legitimate concerns at this point um I asked Rivera on Wednesday about what he has seen out of Jamie Davis and Cody Barton. here's some of what he said about Barton now by the way, when I always try to gauge what do I think coaches you know is he frustrated with the player does he buy into a player? Is he really? This guy's killing it, or is he just saying stuff? Try to. I always try to listen to um, when you know. If one thing is when does he get into any kind of critique? Uh, is it softballed in, or does he kind of bring it up without even bringing it up? So I ask again, what did you see out of these guys before I even before he says a hey that he's doing great at this? He says this is the beginning quote. I think the biggest thing for Cody is just got to get used to the style of play. We are a little different from his time in Seattle, and yet we do some very similar things in terms of coverages. But some of our downhill techniques are some of the things he's got to get used to. The first game, he was really good with it. The second game, I think he was kind of ha- a little hesitant to really get downhill, and I think one of the mistakes you've got to be careful is that when you try to be right and fit correctly and that guy cuts back, now you put yourself in the bad spot, end quote. They went on to say some nice things as well, but I do think that is something to keep an eye on. Now, none of this has anything to do with who's going to get cut. I don't see Cody Barton uh, getting getting Eric Davis here and and being an interesting free agent offseason signing to get cut. But nonetheless, um, it's something to note. Uh, you know, David Mayo would be the uh, the alternative, and and Mayo is you know in my view pretty limited to being sort of involved for run plays. Barton was brought in in large part for his coverage work. So this will be interesting to watch. But I've got four linebackers right now with Milo, Eifler, and others uh, on the outs, going to the practice squad or going somewhere else. Uh, defensive backs, to me, this is a 10 or 11 number. Got to have at least 10. You know, That would mean probably at least five cornerbacks, if not six. But here, you've got five safeties, including Jeremy Reeves that I think are going to stay. Uh, Danny Johnson, you know, I, I, he's the fourth corner as far as I'm concerned. I don't. I, I think that's pretty apparent. Um, he was back today. said it was no big deal, by the way, about his shoulder uh, injury. But nonetheless, so he's back. That, that Then you've got Rashad Wild Goose or, you know, you've got your Tariq Castro, Fields, and others who've not gotten a lot of attention. We haven't asked any real questions about those guys. So a little harder to gauge. Uh, some of the deeper cuts at corner, what the coaches' staff think. But in terms of Wild Goose, you know, I really was curious as to why earlier in the year, or sorry, earlier in camp, he was playing with the ones a lot as the main slot. It just never made sense to me that he was that high up, that you've got all these other guys. Why would you consider using him? Um, even if, you know, you're taking St. Juice off the field or Danny Johnson can't go, you've, you've got all these safeties who can do that. Uh, I think he had a rough game in the last game, so I, I don't see wild goose in there for now um but go back to the running back tight end scenario, and this is where some of these things get interesting, right? if I say you know you're gonna keep four running backs and four tight ends, well, is there room now to keep Tyler Larson as an eleventh as, as a tenth offensive lineman sorry, is there room to definitely keep? Eleven defensive linemen, or do you have to make a call on a KJ Henry or maybe a KC Two Hill? Um, you know, defensive backs. I think 10's has got to be the floor. If you want to go to eleven, I wouldn't say that's insane, but then again, you got to cut it from somewhere else. So I think there's going to be some really interesting choices. These again, these are the things that some people find irrelevant. I find fascinating. Who is going to stay? Who is going to go? And, you know, sometimes there's a big surprise. You know, again, there's a lot of players out here. We don't always get ask about everybody, you know. I mean, no disrespect, but, like, we're not going to ask a question on, like, an Aaron Montero, uh, one of the backup offensive linemen, unless there's some reason to. And we've not been given a reason to, other than he has played a decent amount on the second unit at times, as has Nolan Lauffenberg. Both guys could be practice squad help. But, you know, who knows? Maybe their coach is like somebody more than we think. Same thing at receiver. You know, is there somebody from this deep group of backups that they like for whatever the reason, either as a receiver or as a special teams player. And by the way, I didn't even mention Jake from the third quarterback on the one hand, him going to the practice squad seems like a reasonable thought, you know, unless there's a team out there that just all of a sudden gotten desperate as a backup. And, you know, I think Jake Fromm is 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 a guy like you know, low-end backup you could get by with. But the fact that he was on the practice squad pretty much all last year means he could probably get there again. But then at some point, do you want the third quarterback on your 53, knowing the rule now allows you to go to that third player, even if he's on the inactive list? They're going to have to make that call at some point as well. So those are some of my thoughts on the... Roster battles heading into this final preseason game, Um, lot to consider. I think again, we'll see how much do the starters play, particularly on offense. Um, We'll be watching for sure. All right, but that is it for this episode of the Standard Groom Only Podcast. Thanks again to David Aldridge for his time, and to everyone here for checking out the podcast, my work on the Athletic. Um, Until next time. See ya.